Hi, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Um, today is an interview with Joseph Laycock or Joe Laycock. Um, he is a, a professor of religious studies uh, at a university in Texas and has written a couple of books. And his books are really why uh, what caught my attention because he wrote a book about the Satanic Temple uh, called Speak of the Devil. And it's kind of about... Uh, how the discussion around the Satanic Temple and the Satanic Temple itself has kind of reopened some, uh, some discussion and thought about religion and what it is and what it does. And since I had interviewed um, Lucian Greaves for this podcast, I thought it would be interesting to get the, uh, the views of a religious studies professor on the Satanic Temple. Um, and he didn't disappoint. Uh, Joe is kind of a um, he, he's, I, I wouldn't say he's an uber-religious guy himself, and, and I had gotten that impression from his online presence that he's not, he's definitely not pushing any kind of religious agenda. He's just interested in religions in general and interested in kind of fringe movements. Uh, he also wrote a book called Dangerous Games. Both of these books have really long subtitles that I'll never remember the, the, the names of, but Dangerous Games, which is about the satanic panic in the 80s and all of the um, all of the panic around role-playing games that um, I was definitely privy to when I was young. Um, not the role-playing games, but the panic about the role-playing games and being open to satanic possession through these things and that kind of thing. So uh, it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, Joe is quite insightful about religion and kind of about... Um, you know, uh, how our brains respond to religion actually in a very natural way. So um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do as well. Please like and subscribe uh, for more of this kind of content. And now uh, my interview with Joe Laycock. Joseph Laycock, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Well, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I, whenever I say that, whenever I say welcome to the show and somebody says thanks for having me, I always really appreciate it because this is not, you know, this is not an esteem thing for you. Like it really is a, <laughs> it really is a treat for me and, and uh, I do my best to make it enjoyable. But uh, yeah, I always feel a tiny bit of shame when someone says thanks for having me. But, you know, maybe that's just my inferiority complex coming to the fore. But I really appreciate you being here. Um, I, I came across your... Um, I came across you on the internet uh, through um, my interest in uh, Lucian Greaves and the Satanic Temple. Uh, I listened to a, an interview that you did with him um, about uh, about exorcisms, and uh, and and then I and then I found uh, some other things and, and and found out about your interest in uh, the Satanic Panic and the Dungeons and Dragons, which is hard to say, the Dungeons and Dragons um, debacle of the you know, 1980s and uh, 90s or whatever. And some of the things you said around that were so in line with um, what I want to kind of articulate with, uh, with my podcast that I immediately reached out and I was really glad, probably only because of the pandemic, uh, <laughs> you're free to talk to me. So um, yeah, um, I guess... Uh, I hadn't planned on having another um, another person affiliated with uh, the Satanic Temple on again so soon, but it's really an interesting organization. And sorry, I'm ranting way too much. I'm going to let you talk very soon. Um, but I, one of the things I noticed after posting my Lucian Greaves interview was that the Satanic Temple is so supportive uh, of, of people. Um, that's been the episode that's got the most kind of, uh, you know, chat online, the most support, the most love. And, uh, I'm wondering what your actual experience with the satanic temple is. Yeah. I, I want to be really clear. I'm not affiliated with the satanic temple. And, right. And, right. I'm, I'm not I'm actually asking that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there are people online who have been like, well, this guy didn't completely trash satanists. Therefore, Right. He might be a Satanist himself, yeah. right? Um, that's that's not the case. Um, but what you're describing, the kind of the fellowship, really, I mean, they don't call it that, but in yeah. religious studies, we could call it that. Um, that's that's the reason that people stay in this movement, right? That the movement it, it exists. So one of the stories mm -hmm. that I found most striking studying the Austin chapter of the Satanic Temple 
um, was basically a, a sort of Good Samaritan story. This Satanist said she sprained her ankle jogging on the green belt here. Somebody saw her fall and just kept walking. And she had her cell phone. Her husband was out of town. And she said, well, I'm going to call my fellow Satanists. And in 15 minutes, they said, I just told my boss I'm leaving work. Just hold tight. We'll, we'll, we'll be there. <laughs> um, and I think that most people, when they hear about the Satanic Temple, they wouldn't imagine that kind of web of relationship. Right. Yeah. People who take care of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And based on my experience, I definitely would think that was the case, you know, think that was possible. And that kind of religious community uh, is is present there. So yeah, I, I, w- I actually meant to ask it in more of a way of like, are you affiliated directly with the Satanic Temple? But I know you're, you know, I know you have some friends there and that kind of thing. So you wouldn't call yourself a Satanist uh, personally? No, absolutely not. Absolutely cool. not. And I, I don't have any kind of membership card or, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or anything like that, yeah. right? Um, you know, and, and in religious studies, I each of my books is about a very different kind of subculture, and right. I don't belong to any of them. Right, yeah, yeah. That's probably good. Keep your distance. Well, and I'm a... I'm a Christian who likes uh, Satanists, I guess. So I, I'm I'm in some kind of uh, strange little strange little niche. Um, well, at least I like the Satanists I've met so far. And um, so yeah, so you are a professor of religious studies, and and you is that right? Is that your actual title? That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, are, so, but I assume then you're not also affiliated with any particular religion or, or personally or anything like that? Um, I'm Catholic, you know, um, <laughs> and I think the Satanists, especially when they finally asked me that question, because there's a point in research where people always ask me that question. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm, I'm Catholic. And some of them were like, what? You know, why are you here? Right? Why are you, why are you talking to us? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, at one point I said, well, I mean, in a way, Catholics kind of invented Satanism. So it's kind of like seeing your kid grow up, right? All these, yeah. all these stories about black masses and stuff, as best we can right. tell, were probably made up by Catholics right. uh, around 1500 or so uh, yeah. before anyone actually really did anything like that. Well, that's kind of one of my, one of the things I, I find so interesting about uh, the Satanic Temple and Satanism is, yeah, that it has, um, there's a strong aesthetic element to it. And the aesthetic was definitely largely set by, by religion and, and uh, being always from the outside looking in at Catholicism, it always seemed to me like there was this kind of intriguing and interesting and exciting dark uh, undercurrent. I was from evangelical culture and evangelical culture tries to expunge every, every dark thing, you know, to the, to the point that, uh, you know, even just negativity is... Uh, you know, expressing any kind of negativity is like, ooh, you know, but, but then Catholicism will have just dark shit on the, on the windows <laughs> of their uh, cathedrals and everything, uh, even, you know, blood in their paintings. And yes, like, all right, Caravaggio or whatever, uh, some of these very, very deeply faithful people who just had these pained and terrible, uh, you know, inner imaginations, um, which I guess kind of brings, brings up the, the Dungeons and Dragons work that you've done, which uh, is really interesting. I remember being a kid and being kind of, uh, I was never interested in Dungeons and Dragons personally, but like I wasn't drawn to it. I kind of like, I'm glad I wasn't in a way because I feel like it could have really made a rift in my relationship with my my parents and that kind of thing. But, you know, there was that whole idea that, um, you, you would open yourself up. If you were playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, unbeknownst to yourself, you're opening the back door of your soul. And there's, there's you know, in the shadows in the alleyway behind your soul are, are a bunch of demons that are, you know, waiting to, to pounce. Um, is that kind of the, the general gist of it, of the satanic panic around Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. I, you know, what, what got me interested in this was kind of this great paradox where, the, the creators of Dungeons and Dragons, Gary Gygax and David Arneson, 1974, uh, were both very religious people. Um, Gary Gygax was, Je- was a Jehovah's Witness, at least at one point in his life. Um, mm. David Arneson right. took time off from work to do, to do missionary work. Um, and if you read, especially the older books from the 70s, there's lots of religious stuff in there. 
So for example, one of the original character classes is the cleric and the cleric can do things like part water, right? Or turn a stick into a snake and things like mm. this. It is all very biblical. And, and right. weirdly Christians saw that or certain, a certain subset of people saw that in the eighties and said, well, look at this, this is biblical. That means it's satanic. Right. <laughs> I'm like, well, why, why it's, it's almost like you're sort of alienated from your own tradition. And, right. and where this kind of ended up was the claim that basically there's no such thing as the imagination, right? If you mm. imagine a monster, that's not your imagination. That's an actual demon. And I, I mm. found rants that really kind of took it to the point of the imagination is, is evil because reality is the way God wants things to be. And if you imagine things are a different way, you're defying God. Mm. And I find this really strange because historically, um, Christianity has seen the imagination as, as something holy, right? A, a gift from mm. God, something mm. that God uses to communicate with people, right? right? Especially if you read like the, the, the mystics of um you know the counter-reformation and, and and things like this so it was very odd for me to see imagination kind of reduced to something to be afraid of and so yeah. part, one of the things i'm trying to do in that book is figure out how did this happen how did we get here that, that christianity would be actually afraid of something that was historically mm -hmm. seen as, as good yeah and also i mean uh christianity no matter how much it might want to portray itself as a as a fringe movement still is just an absolute juggernaut in western culture to the point that any i i always think anything that speaks about the hidden motivations of, of christianity also speaks about the hidden motivations of the west in general like it goes it goes beyond the bounds of the church and i have noticed that um one of the things that i i guess this whole uh, pod, the thing that comes up the most in my podcast and the thing that I'm kind of identifying as my mission is that there is a war going on against the, I, I say it as the intuition, uh, not the imagination, but, you know, imagination and intuition are obviously very, very, very linked. And, uh, and I, I loved hearing what you said in the, the lectures and stuff that I heard online about, about that, because, yeah, um, uh, we've really we've really kind of pulled ourselves apart, I think, in the West to to the point that, uh, especially Christians, to the point that um, we want to say everything good in us is God, everything bad in us is is that's our real identity. We're just we're just shit, and uh, you know, and, and the imagination kind of plays into that because. I'm, I'm not, not being very well-spoken here, but the imagination, there's such a great amount of mystery in the imagination. And ostensibly, I mean, in my personal faith, mystery is, is a huge part of why there's religion and why there's any kind of religious faith. Um, but that intuition and that imagination could really lead people anywhere. And I think that, I think there, there is really a fear of a fear of that imagination, uh, which this is not even a question because I'm basically just restating what you just said. Um, yeah. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. You know, um, Karen Armstrong's book, A History of God, I think is, is a really good book for thinking about this. Uh, but she talks about how traditionally in the West and, and this is in Judaism, Christianity and Islam, if you want to know more about God, there's basically two paths. And one is philosophy, right? We can sort of make logical deductions from what we know. And the other one is, is mysticism. And you have some kind of direct sort of um, experience. And she says the, the way forward has always been kind of balancing these things. Mm. Um, and, and she does say mysticism, if it's unchecked, it, it can lead to a form of idolatry, right? Where you just say, Definitely. well, I, I, I feel this way and therefore that must be god talking right well maybe not right, right. maybe these are your own sort of prejudices right yeah. it's good to have a uh, reason is, is putting a check on that uh, there's one point in the book where she actually says um you know uh an understanding of god that can't be reconciled with the imagination will not get very far or something like this mm -hmm. right so that yeah um, at some point those kind of what you call intuition or those kinds of leaps that go beyond sort of logical deduction 
are, are necessary for the idea of God to be effective in, in people's lives. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, the, 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 the idea of, of mysticism is that there's always more, uh, you know, that whatever you're thinking, wherever you're at, or whatever your particular uh, sect or community thinks, there's always more. That's how I, that's, that's the positive aspect of mysticism. And then the positive aspect of philosophy is that you, um, okay, now we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of pick apart what, where we're at. And, and you know, like, uh, sure, there's always more, but philosophy is very concerned with, with, you know, the realm of, of the known and they're both so important. And, you know, I do think that in addition to imagination and things like Dungeons and Dragons, philosophy has really been uh, uh, driven out of the church. I, I heard recently that uh, there was a major Christian university in the U.S. where they shut down their philosophy department. I know that it was, was Liberty University. Yeah, that was Liberty institution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No more, no more philosophy. And, and uh, I've noticed that uh, even, you know, the, the Christians that I talk to who are interested in talking about philosophy, you know, will, will know just enough Nietzsche to um, say he's full of crap, you know, uh, like he said, God was dead. So he's the enemy. Uh, and you know, like, so they're, they're just the, like have these sort of pat, uh, refutations of this just absolute monster of a thinker, you know, that, that, that have they even read anything that he wrote? Uh, so I, I wonder if maybe I can make a, um, make a parallel from outside, uh, religious culture and then see if I can tie it into what you're, what we're saying about, um, religion and the imagination, because I think the imagination uh, within organized religion is a threat to, I mean, it's a threat to power structures. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how far to go with that, but it's, it's a threat. It's a threat to power structures because it means that in any congregation at any time, there's someone who could not be with the program, who could be compelling and lead, lead other people astray or on some different path that's, you know, going to take money out of the pocket of the church or whatever but then there's also this um i i feel like outside the church and in kind of what would be considered the secular world if there even is a a, a really secular uh world in in the u.s and, and canada i mean i'm from canada there's um i feel like there, the monetization of of the imagination has, is one of the things that's strangling out intuition from from outside. You know, if if there's, you know, in in the church, they're fairly comfortable with the idea of of things not being overtly economic. You know, so so it's kind of couched more in in religious language there. But outside the church, it's like uh, maybe. You know, uh, if if you've got a great idea, it's only a great idea if you're if you're kind of it's an entrepreneurial thing, and and you can you can turn it into some kind of of industry. And so I, I I'm an artist, I'm a, I'm a musical artist, and I've I've experienced just this feeling that the uh, well that art has been neutered, you know, um, through this kind of process uh, of of kind of creating an, an industry and monetization and, and that kind of thing. Um, so does that kind of resonate with what you've noticed? Absolutely. You know, I see this a lot with the film industry right now. I mean, I was, I was listening to some radio story about, you know, Fast and the Furious 10, I think, <laughs> right? And, and studios only want to take a risk on something that they think is guaranteed to succeed. And usually that's yeah. a remake of something from the 80s, right? Which is why yeah. we're all watching ghostbusters and star wars again yeah and and i believe there are people who are making challenging interesting films it's very hard to get those films made because the studio right. wants a profit and they want a sure yeah. thing i mean that that does kind of resonate with uh i would say with the something in the church where you know it's like if there's a gospel that's too far if there's a part of the gospel that's too far outside what's kind of been you know been sold already well i don't i don't think we can i don't think we can sell that uh you know um so i i just i i've just started to to feel this sense that yeah like the intuition and the imagination is really 
in danger. Um, so as a professor of religious studies who is not uh, particularly religious, are you finding yourself are you finding yourself rooting for any form of um, mysticism or religion or spiritual practice or anything like that that you think can actually kind of wake people up to this uh, to this attack on the imagination like is there is there anything you see as being the way forward i I think you know, my main goal in the classroom, especially introductory classes, where often this is the only religion class students are ever going to take, um, is I'm just trying to break through the smugness, right? Um, if, if you take my world religion class and you're an atheist, you know, my expectation is you're still going to be an atheist when you, when you finish the, mm. the, the class. I don't think that it's really possible, right, to sort of convert, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you're a religion professor, what Bible verse do I use to flip this atheist and make him a Christian? But well, if faith is a gift, then that, you know, go easy on them. What, what do you expect to happen? Right. But I would like the atheist to come away not thinking everyone who believes in God is some sort of moron, right? right? Who is scientifically yeah. illiterate. And similarly, I'm in Central Texas. I have a lot of people coming out of a conservative evangelical background. Yeah. I expect them to still be conservative and still be evangelical, but if they could sort of question a little bit this idea of everyone else is practicing a demonic false religion, right. um, everyone, you know, the, the, the planet's 2 billion Muslims are all plotting to kill me personally. Yeah. Um, if I can get them to question that a little bit, then I feel that I've done my job. Um, and instead once that the, the goal of the academic study of religion is to render the strange familiar and the familiar strange. So that's a big part of my teaching, right? And so when we look at the gospels, because I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm just trying to sort of study these as a historical text. I will often sort of home in on odd passages and just say, what do you think someone in the first century, why do you think that they wrote this down? Like, let's, let's look at, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, <laughs> Right. right. Getting getting struck dead and talking about everybody's really scared. I don't want to end up like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And just what do you think's going on here? And I, I'm not it's not a leading question. I'm not trying to yeah. force my conclusion. I'm just saying just, just don't worry for a second about this has to agree with what we already think or something like that. Yeah. But what are some possibilities? Because this is a weird passage. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so do you have does your class end up being a powder keg ever? Like are you are you are you uh mediating uh discussions between students at all or does it tend to be pretty uh like i can just imagine some arguments breaking out do you ever have that oh yeah that 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 can happen um i you know over the years i've gotten pretty good at diffusing that either by you know if someone says something inflammatory i can kind of get out in front of it and sort of rephrase what they said right mm. so so what you're yeah. saying is that you feel you right yeah yeah um, <laughs> But especially around 2010, we had this so-called ground zero mosque controversy. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about that in the class, um, but that was so fresh um, and that, that got very contentious. That was a point where um, mm. I, I had students really sort of beginning to get into sort of ad hominem uh, mm. attacks. Um, and now I teach a class called American Religious Controversies. I still teach mm. the ground zero mosque. Um, and I think that's one of the only cases where I've actually had students, you know, cry because they're that upset, right? And I had a, I had a student who said, well, my dad's in the military and he was deployed in, in Iraq. And these are the people that tried to kill my dad. And, and yeah. why am I racist for saying that, that you know, Muslim terrorism is, is a problem? Um, right. and, you know, I had to kind of be like, you're, you're not. I don't think you're racist, right? And, yeah. and it is a problem, right? But that can't be the end of the conversation, right? We have to, we have to start there and, and see what else we can, we can kind of put together. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. American religious controversies. Um, that's awesome. Do, do you, is this, uh, is your course contentious at all within the culture of the city you live in? Like, uh, ha have you had any, uh, any blowback from parents of students or students or anything like that? I've had surprisingly little, and I think that's probably just because people don't know what we're what we're right. doing. Um, yeah. Texas is interesting. So the 
University of Texas, which is the biggest uh, state school, um, in the 80s, they would basically have pastors come in and give these Bible classes, and they would say, you know, and this is why only Baptists really understand the Bible, right? Or this right. is why only us Luther. And that's, that actually is illegal, right? That, right. that, that goes okay. against um, the separation of church and state. You can't, you can't right. teach that way. So then we just didn't have religious studies in the Texas uh, state system for, for decades. Mm -hmm. um, and so Texas State, which is down the road a little bit, um, finally got a religious studies major for the first time. It's actually going to start in the fall. So mm. this is all very new. I think we have a lot of people who don't even okay. know that there are classes in, in religious studies. Um, there, there are people who sort of see, they, they saw, you know, the, they saw the movie God's Not Dead. Mm -hmm. And they think that that's kind of what I've set out to do is destroy people's faith or convert them to cultural Marxism, whatever that is. I think people do have those kinds of fears. I think people who actually get to meet me and take a class with me see that that's just simply not what I'm, what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so what did draw you to uh, teaching religion? Um, I've always been fascinated by religion. I think... I've gradually shifted from, I mean, first of all, just sort of trying to map it out, right? It was sort of, what is Buddhism, right? I feel like in high school, it was just so hard to just figure that out. Like, what is this, right? It's, yeah. it's got these weird gold statues and, mm -hmm. you know, what, something about reincarnation. And so I, I kind of shifted from just sort of trying to get a handle on what are these religions, how many religions are out there, and then gradually shifted to the question of sort of what actually is religion. Mm. Um, and, and this is something that I push my students towards and a lot of them hate it because it's headache inducing, right? Mm. And there, there really is no right answer to what is religion. Right. But one thing that I keep pointing them to is the American constitution says you get to do all this stuff if it's religion and it never says what religion is. Mm. So there's a lot at stake here on this question that that's never been defined. And yeah. it's, it's a very political question and so in my work on the satanic temple one thing that interests me about them is they're very aggressively forcing people to decide what is a religion really right when yeah. they go to court they have to get a ruling about what's a religion yeah. and, and what isn't and yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of people are really scared that they have received tax-exempt status uh, that yeah. they have been acknowledged in court cases as a, a as a religion because there is this idea that sort of only only christianity and things that closely resemble Christianity, a real religion. Right. And, but yeah. the courts have never actually said that, right? It, right. It's a much more vague concept than, than just that. Right. I mean, uh, what, what it reminds me of, the analogy that just came to my head is that uh, the, the Christian church being um, afraid of the satanic temple being a religion is kind of like in a high school, if they said, uh, you know, we can do locker searches at any time. Um, and then they said, okay, we're actually going to do a locker search. Uh, then the only people who would be nervous would be those who had, you know, drugs and guns <laughs> in, in their lockers, you know, and it's, it's like, um, oh, you froze up, maybe. Hey, sorry about that. There's a storm going on outside and I lost power for a moment. Yeah, it looked like it because it went, it got dark in the room as this, as it freeze framed. Oh, that's cool. I, I, it's God, man. That's we're right. Being, we're being smote down. Um <laughs> So I uh, know all I was saying was uh, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised at the uh, like the insecurity of of the Christians, especially in the Hail Satan uh, documentary. And if anybody's listening to this and hasn't seen the Hail Satan documentary, I'd recommend it. Um, the the kind of insecurity there about them getting religious status. Um, yeah, because, you know, it, it would seem like you'd want religious status for all if you have religious status yourself. And it does kind of bring to call, call the question, you know, whether the, the people, some of the people in power in the Christian church are concerned that there are things that would, you know, preclude them, or if it was brought into question uh, what a religion was, that, that there might be some skeletons in the closet or something like that. Um, I it, it kind of highlights the fact that I, I kind of feel like maybe um, a lot of people in, in Christianity and evangelical Christianity specifically, they don't really like religion. They actually, they actually aren't pro religion. Like uh, they're kind of begrudgingly a religion because they feel that they have the one 
the one gospel. Is that does that kind of resonate with what you've discovered? Yeah, and and I guess I'm I'm a little bothered by you know one thing that the discourse about the Satanic Temple has revealed is a kind of dishonesty, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of people who said, well, this is you know we believe in religious freedom, right? And where's our religious freedom and so forth. But when religious freedom also means sharing it with Satanists or pagans or, or, or groups like this, then suddenly they're not for it anymore. And I, I literally right. found statements where people said, well, I no longer believe in religious freedom. Right. Thanks to the Satanic Temple, I no longer believe in religious freedom. Right. And, you know, that makes me think, if you had just said, everyone else is going to hell and doesn't have a right to an opinion and, and we must <laughs> sort of dominate them politically, at least that would be honest, right? right? Um, so there was a sort of, false language of tolerance and in some cases as Tang Temple sort of proved you were you were never serious about this this was all just kind of politics yeah uh, and, and it was dishonest whereas on the other side of the divide in the satanic temple uh from all that i know it seems that uh there was almost a, a begrudging like they weren't psyched to become uh officially religious in some ways but then lucian in particular has said that he has really appreciated um, the religious aspect of the church, and he he really views it as a religion, and is getting uh, a personal and psychological, you know, and uh, a, dare I say, spiritual. He probably wouldn't say, but a benefit uh, from it being a religion and from kind of viewing it that way. And they've got religious practices, and they're very meaningful to people, and. And, and people's lives, uh, you know, are Im- improving. So it, it, it is a very weird through the looking glass kind of situation. Right. That's the other side of this is just as I've seen some people said, I don't like um, freedom of religion anymore. I've also seen people who said, well, I used to think religion was bad. And now I think it's not necessarily bad. And now I actually think of myself as a religious person. Right. Satanic temple and, you know, Lucian Greaves has said that he sort of started in a place where he said, well, the, the claims of Christianity are not true. Therefore, Christianity and other, other religions that believe in God have no value to saying, oh, well, actually, this is, this is kind of nice, right? <laughs> getting, yeah. getting together with a community and having a shared set of values and a shared mm-hmm. set of rituals that you do together. I, now I get it. Now I see what, why yeah. I like this, right? I still think that claims need to be tested um but there there is more to religion than just the the truth claims right just claims right. about what happens when you die and and, and things yeah. like that um absolutely so so I, i've heard similar statements from from other people in the same temple as well yeah and, and so um there's a very um it seems to me like there's a very ripe conversation about aesthetics to be had in all of in, in this kind of um this duality that we're talking about, you know, because the, there, you know, religion is kind of forming a black mirror where, you know, on one side, you've got the satanic temple on the other side, you've got the Christian church and both of which are now kind of defending the idea of religion. Um, and on, on the satanic temple side, they don't believe in a spiritual realm. I mean, uh, according to Lucian, you're, you're welcome to be a member of this, of the satanic temple if you do believe in some kind of spiritual realm, but it's, it's never going to be a part of their, their seven uh, tenants and all that. And then, so you could say that their um, entire religion, uh, you know, as a religion is aesthetic. I'm not saying that, but you could say that it's, it, you know, it's, it's all about the aesthetics and it's all about, you know, being brought together under, with kind of almost like a brand um if you wanted to look at it cynically because there's no there's no god behind it um and then on the other side you've got uh christianity which is is kind of claiming that their whole oh can i get this out that their whole religion is kind of an an aesthetic over top of an actual uh spiritual realm teeming with you know good and evil spirits that are are fighting for the souls of of uh of humanity um you know uh, it's not a question it's just a riffing off of what you're saying uh 
Yeah, well, and I think that especially in the Protestant tradition, there's been a lot of concern about, you know, aesthetics can be a distraction, right? Aesthetics yeah. are dangerous. We don't want a bunch of incense and stained glass and things like that. Yeah. Uh, because because faith happens in, in, in your heart, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so in that sense, I think the Satanists are a bit more like the Catholics, right? And that they both like robes and incense and, and things mm -hmm. like that. And I, I think... Um, you know, David Frankfurter, who has written on Satanic Panic, has said, I think a lot of the sort of made up claims about Satanic rituals are sort of based in much older prejudice towards towards Catholic um, religious services of being sort of mm. ancient and and having all these weird symbols and rituals always in Latin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I would say is if, if you read the seven tenets, um, you know, when they talked about justice, I talked to Malcolm Jerry, who wrote most of the seven tenets about justice. And, and he said, well, justice doesn't really exist in, in the world. It's an idea. Um, and it's not something that can be scientifically measured. You know, a scientist mm. can't say, well, your community is like a justice of 10, right? We're mm. trying to get to a justice of 11. It's, it's abstract. And he didn't use this word, but, but I really think that he was talking about what in religious science we would call a transcendent idea. Mm. Right? something that goes beyond what we can see something sure. we can kind of only know in a way intuitively right Plato yeah. thought we knew justice intuitively um and he said if you pursue something um transcendent like that it leads to overcoming your own ego so suddenly it seemed like the same temple as a philosophy had a lot more in common with things that we normally think of as, sure. as religion there was some more kind of metaphysical substance there even without having anything supernatural interesting yeah so yes yeah that, that that's great i i knew you would nuance my point and you did um so yeah that's really that's a really interesting concept is is this idea of i mean if justice is indeed this uh um this transcendent idea then just like then i think faith is required and it's a it just like faith it is a perpetual it's something you're it, you're perpetually disciplined in but perpetually seeking at the same time which does really just describe what faith is to me like you know you're and, and there's an element of submission even right because a person with a great sense of justice uh knows that at times that well you would hope that they're that they are not the uh you know the punishing arm of that justice and that that uh, if if justice is this this important and universal thing uh worth worth um preaching even to people who don't share your belief system then there are times where you must you might be on the receiving end of that and there has to be a faith and a submission uh involved in that so yeah that's really interesting and i asked satanists to members of the temple right you know why why is justice worth fighting for <laughs> right because right. you could be on the couch or something and said and and some of them could give me answers right like well it makes me feel good or you know we're, we're this is contributing to our survival as a species i didn't feel like those were the real reasons I really felt like mm -hmm. they just took it as faith value. If we got to have justice, justice is worth fighting for. And, yeah. and that is a kind of faith, right? Yeah. They, can't, they, can't, they couldn't really prove to me why justice was better than sort of In a Hobbesian nightmare where it's every man for himself. Yeah, right? anarchy. <laughs> right, but they just all assumed that, that that's just the way the world is, right? Yeah, I mean, in that, uh, I know there are probably people you know kind of who would feel attacked by phrasing it in that way um but it does it's it's not a weird thing to me because i feel like that is kind of that is kind of the there's going to be an end point anyone who has who has faith anyone who believes in transcendent ideas there's always going to be an end point uh past which they just can't uh they kind of can't explain it you know or uh, like that maybe or at least they have to resort to just uh speaking to some kind of absolute value you know um like the absolute value in the sanctity of, of human life 
or something like that, you know, or the sanctity of the earth. Like you will get to a sanctity at some point, which I don't think people should even necessarily fight against, but I do think it, it is, uh, it's threatening. Yeah. I don't know. It's threatening to organize religion that, um, there is this wild untamed place beyond our, our understanding. Um, I don't know what I'm exactly getting at. You're, you're just bringing up a lot of thoughts here for me. So, uh, that's really interesting. Justice as a transcendent idea. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I think in, in the Catholic tradition, Thomas Aquinas um, basically, you know, wrote, um, you know, these three volumes, the, the Summa Theologica, and that was supposed to sort of have rational explanations for everything, right? And, and it's, still, it's still kind of the, the, the foundation of Catholic theology, because there is this idea of, well, we can just think about it logically, mm. and we can just figure everything out. And I think what's at stake in your comment is that's not really true right at some point everything is not defensible with with logic um and you find that out even with just a little kid every little kid has a moment they can just keep asking their mom why right right and pretty soon their mom or dad will just be like well i don't have an answer to that it's just the way things things are um and you know from a sociological perspective um emile durkheim was a very famous sociologist of religion you know he, he reached the same conclusion he said there are certain things that we all just um, we all just accept without questioning if this is simply the way the world is. These are simply our values. And, and he believed that those are formed socially, right? That sort of we, we come mm. to um, what he called collective effervescence, but that sort of by, by coming together as a group, we kind of reach this. It's almost like we get in sync together and we form a shared set of values. And then from there, once we have a shared set of values, then we can talk about what rules we want to make and so forth rationally, right. but that it's base. This is something that, that precedes rational discussion and debate and consensus. Mm. It just sort of arises from the whole, the whole group. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that that groups of people form a, a, a meta mind, which has a meta intuition um, as well. So yeah, no, that's, that's true. And if I were to take a stab at sort of a non, uh, or uh, uh, maybe an explanation, uh, a slight explanation for that uh, is I think we're, uh, we are creative um, people and we are, uh, we're people who abstract uh, from wherever we are to the next level up and the next level up and, and create, um, and create archetypes, uh, not to sound like Jordan Peterson, but we create archetypes, you know, and, and like uh, children who play, children who who play mother or play father even at a very young age are uh not just purely imitating their own mother or father uh like they, they've actually formed they've seen other mothers and fathers and they've kind of formed that there is something that is a father you know and that's something that is a mother and uh i think that yeah we are I just believe that God is is the reason that gods crop up so much is this idea that we just keep abstracting up to higher archetypes. There's the art, and then you know we get to the archetype of a man, archetype of a woman, and then maybe the archetype of a human. Hopefully, we can you know, and then, but we there is just a next. I mean, it's a it's like it's like your heartbeat. There is just a next level of uh, abstraction that happens, just like you don't have to think about each heartbeat. Uh, you know, there is a next level of, of abstraction that happens up and, and, and pushes up towards uh, some kind of transcendent being. Whether, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's real, and yet if you have billions of people abstracting up in the same direction, uh, how could how could it not be real in a way? I'm not saying that in, in, that we're uh, that we're discovering forensically an uh, an objective being, uh, but you know, creating one uh, and uh, or creating something between creating and identifying, if that makes any sense. Is that kind of? Yeah, I mean, one thing is to go back to to Durkheim. One of the things that that kind of set him aside because he was writing in the early 20th century when a lot of people just assumed 
well, these, these religions, they're, they're superstitious and, and people would be better off without them. And he said, um, these, these have real effects on people, right? Whether or not these things are true, and he was studying Aborigines in Australia. He said, whether or not these tribal totems that they believe in exist, they have real physical effects on them, right? Mm. They, they literally have affected. And, and so that's kind of the power of human beings getting together and having a shared social reality. Um, mm. And I think that because we're a society that kind of believes in um, very individualistic economics, you know, we're pursuing profit and, and, and sort of we're, we're, we're voting, right? And every vote counts. I think that we, we over, we overestimate kind of how much we are individuals thinking for ourselves and we underestimate how much we are products of our, of our society and of social reality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we, we kind of blind ourselves to a lot of how the world really works Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> by, oh. by kind of failing to, to think about things on, on that level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you see the effectiveness uh, and really the scientific precision of the advertising industry at this point, uh, then you realize there are these currents of, uh, of, of consciousness that, that can be, can be harnessed and, and changed and, and that we, yeah, that, that we are not the individual, the individuals that we, believe that we are we're part of a we're part of a big collective we're part of a big meta mind and and there are people who who can manipulate that um so i'm curious just to like get your take on where things are going like are do you are you a person who thinks much about where uh especially in the west things are going with religion or and with you know like are, are we headed for are we headed for a collapse? Is the church just going to, is the Christian church just going to fizzle out? Or do you foresee there, that there could be some rebirth of, of actual religion that makes a, you know, that, that, that actually helps people in, in their own lives or, or yeah. What do you think the future? Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's what's called the, um, the secularization narrative in sociology. And this is basically the theory that science will destroy religion and in the future there won't be any religion. And if there is religion, it won't have any influence, right? It'll, it'll just be something that people do in their home and it doesn't affect anything. Um, lots and lots of people still believe this, um, but in sociology with people who are actually studying it, this has been almost completely discredited. Right. I mean, who could look at American politics right now and say religion doesn't matter? Right. I mean, <laughs> who, how, what, what country are you looking at? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so religion has tremendous importance um, uh, politically. Um, so if secularization is happening, it's not happening in the way that, that, that people imagine it is. Um, this is still something a lot of people believe in, but, but it, there's not a lot of evidence for it. And as far as um, Christianity, um, Christianity has begun to decline um, slightly, and it's probably going to decline a lot more in America and Canada and in Western Europe. Um, and what we're getting in its place is the so-called nuns, the N-O-N-E, right? right? So a lot of millennials say, I have no religion. And so in America, Christianity has dropped down. I think it's now around 70% of the country identifies as, as Christian. Um, but that could, that could drop um, a significantly um not you know by 50 to 50 percent but maybe to, to 65 percent right mm -hmm. um however what what christian is being replaced with is not these sort of richard dawkins atheists who don't believe right. in anything it's it's people who would say well i'm very spiritual but i am suspicious of authority figures and i'm suspicious of people who claim they have the truth mm. um the percentage of people who say they believe in god has not declined um uh, nearly as, as as much oh interesting uh, yeah um so what i think you know we what the future might look like is um you know i think, I think a couple of things can happen I, I think that the christian right has done tremendous damage to the christian brand i think that millennials large sections of millennials associate Christianity with intolerance and uh, political uh, conservatism and racism and all these other things. And I think, unfortunately, the Christian right has only themselves to, to blame for that. Paradoxically, in all the things they have done to try to 
make Christianity stronger, they've, they've weakened it in the long term. I, I think that's the, the, the case. What do you think those things have been that they've done to make it stronger? Well, you know, for example, um, you know, campaigns to um, uh, the way that they have tried in America, the way that they have tried to sort of uh, make the Republican Party, the, the party of Christianity and the party of kind of getting religion back into schools and erecting Ten Commandments monuments where there has never yeah. been one before in the history of the country. Um, they, I think that they've caused a lot of people to think that they are bullies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, top down. Yeah. Um, so if that continues, I think that will cause the influence of Christianity to, to continue to shrink. Now there could be a reversal. There was an article last week on the so-called weird Catholic movements. Um, and this was people who say, you know, we are socially progressive, but we love church, right? We need church. And we, we especially, a lot of them loved high okay. church. You know? Right. Um, yeah. so, so Christianity could rebrand and I think win a lot of those millennials back. Like so the, it, sun, the Sunday assembly or that kind of thing. Or no, the Sunday assembly is purely secular. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, so. Yeah, and I think in the 60s, there was a lot of this rebranding, right? And sort of trying to, um, you know, there was the so-called Jesus people movement. Right, trying yeah, to yeah. emphasize, right? Christianity is, is sort of, it's for ordinary people and you could have an acoustic guitar and sandals and things like that. And that went a lot of people over. And then in the seventies, right, it became much more conservative and much right. more uh, political. So, so that could, that could flip back the other way. I think though that even, I also believe that Christianity has shaped Western society in ways that people are not aware of. Um, so for instance, my, uh, my wife studies um, Chinese religion Mm -hmm. And one response that the Chinese government has made to accusations of human rights violations is there's no such thing as human rights, right? Prove to me that human rights exist. Human rights were made up by the West to stop Chinese progress. And yeah. the thing is, we all take it for granted that there's such a thing as human rights. It, that, that's another, it's another one of these social realities, right? right. Um, and I think that one reason why the concept of human rights developed in the West is because Western culture believes that everyone has a soul created by God mm -hmm. for a purpose, right? right? And, and other religions don't think about it that way, right? Mm -hmm. they, they don't have this, this idea of sort of souls and, and, and things like that. Um, right. So I think there are, there are subtle connections like that um, where even if Christianity were to die out completely, it would still have a legacy it would still leave a tremendous impact on Western values. Right. And the way that we see things. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot there. I, uh, I, I've kind of uh, wondered if, if there's not something healthy in Christianity starting to actually see itself as uh, a minority movement again, uh, not my, not, not racial minority, but as, as something where, you know, uh, some kind of a grassroots thing. Yeah. Because you're, you're right. When you say there, there's been a lot of authoritarian, um, you know, authoritarian stuff that happens, which couldn't really, I mean, I'm sure I'll get uh, some flack over this, but couldn't really be less biblical, uh, to, you know, I mean, the central story of, uh, of, of the Bible, I, I would say Jesus, uh, and, uh, you know, and even in the, the Exodus and all of that, is uh is that you don't is that you don't change hearts th from the from the top uh you know and, and uh so i mean maybe what you know maybe maybe religious free maybe religious status and tax exempt status being taken away would be the the best possible thing for uh for religion and, and not just christianity but you know if you want to start a religion you've got to You've got to can have a, a bunch of people convinced that, hey, this, you know, this religious leader, we need to give him resources or her, uh, give them resources so they can live their lives and, and do this important work. We need to value this on some level. Um, I don't know. Does that? Absolutely. I mean, there have always been Christians who have said, you know, from the moment the Emperor Constantine sort of approved Christianity, that was the moment the corruption began. Right. Because then there was something worth corrupting for the first time, right? Yeah. Um, those Christians have always been there. And one thing I noticed looking at the Tang Temple is um, there have always been Christians who have supported 
the things that they are doing and the, the press always ignores them. So for example, right. in, in Oklahoma, the actual lawsuit to have that 10 commandments monument taken down was filed by a Baptist pastor. Right. Oh, interesting. Who, who said this, this corrupts the government and it corrupts the church. That's bad for both. And on Christian grounds, I, I oppose it. And when they did, when the Santa Temple held a rally in Little Rock, Arkansas, they had two Christian speakers and they had one evangelical speaker who was from the Gideon Society, mm. and, and she was introduced by the Satanist. And so it was, it was hilarious watching the Satanist take the podium and saying, you know, our next speaker was dead to her sins until the saving blood of Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, gives this kind of very Southern evangelical introduction, because yeah. that's what the lady asked for. But she said, you know, you become a Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the government's power. Right. And if you erect that monument in my living room, that still would not make me a Christian. Right. And, and that's why I, as a Christian, uh, oppose this. And the press and the media completely ignored the presence of, of, of these Christians who didn't agree with the same temple about a lot of things, but could agree on, on this one um, activity. Right. So I think it's unfortunate that those voices have been ignored. And instead, we only yeah. hear kind of more dominionist voices right. uh, in American politics. And you hear, you know... Uh, you hear about the conservative people talking about the liberal media silencing stories, but it's like, where was the, where was the Christian media saying that these Christians, you know, were out there doing this unusual thing, even to, you know, even to slam them. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really done. I, I found that interesting. Yeah. Cause I did uncover that in my conversation with Lucian as well, that uh, there were some Christians at great risk to themselves who were, on the podium, you know, the, the same day that he had worn a, um, a bulletproof vest because he was legitimately concerned about getting shot. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, part of me wonders if, part of me wonders if um, you just can't be a massive and powerful group and have the kind of, of, proper perspective that you need to have. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you would make a church the size of the Christian church in the United States and, and have, have them just, you know, and not abuse that power. I, I don't know how it would even happen. And yet, uh, like in, in my, in my podcast, the people who have been the most supportive of, um, of my episodes have been, the Satanists, as I mentioned before, when I when I did the Lucian episode, and then uh, the um, the disillusioned Christians. I I, I interviewed a, a a girl who, or sorry, a, a woman who um, her her general focus in life is to kind of undermine and attack the abuses of the evangelical church. And uh, lo and behold, I discovered a whole community around that that was really supportive and really kind of like you know. I mean, I've had some great conversations and some, uh, you know, like people who, who want to love each other. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is just a size, a size issue. Um, yeah, I mean, even with, the, with my work on Dungeons and Dragons, you know, these big investigative reports that were done to debunk people making false claims about Satanism and things like that um, were done by Cornerstone Magazine, which is an evangelical magazine. Hmm. Right? And they said, you know, we can't have people sort of telling these really dangerous lies about people in the name of Christianity, right? That's, that's really bad for our brand. And so we've got to stop it. Um, but I was, I was able to find a lot of really excellent things through the research that those, those evangelical reporters um, had, had done. You know, hmm. John Fay is a historian of, um, of Christianity. He's also evangelical himself. Hmm. And he uses this term court evangelicals. Um, oh. to, to refer to evangelicals who have positioned themselves to kind of have the ear of Republican presidents, especially, right? Oh, wow. Um, but I think that term is very telling, court evangelicals. And he says, you know, this is, it, power corrupts, right? This is, this is, you know, read the Old Testament, power corrupts, right? Read the New um, Testament, power corrupts. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, he says that regardless of the intentions of these, these people, um, they are kind of turning the church into something that is basically about kind of Machiavellian political apparatus. And that's unfortunate. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Um, well, and I, I, I went down this road of, uh, of kind of, uh, uh, dissing the, uh, dissing the Christian church, I guess, uh, I guess that's uh, sometimes when I start getting talk talking about these things, it feels a little bit like therapy to me. So uh, some things come out, you know, day to day. I mean, I still attend a church and, and uh, I'm still a Christian. So uh, I, I guess I just yearn for, uh, I just yearn for something, something better in, in the public eye for this and, and for, for people to really, uh, uh, you know, sacrifice their power. I mean, like, in one way you could you could see the whole you could see the whole um story of christ as as being about sacrificing whatever power you have giving yourself up for um you know like he did not sin uh and and then uh but chose to take you know chose not to make that the his defining thing so i i don't know like uh I yearn to see that happen, and I, I see it happen all around. I see it happen in individuals in all kinds of different places, like uh, including in the Satanic Temple. You know, um, giving uh, contraception or giving um, what do you call it, uh, feminine hygiene pro products to people on the street. I had never heard of anyone doing doing that. You know, I mean, so it, anyway, I don't I don't really have a point except that. Uh, um, I, I hope that I hope that something can can happen eventually, even if it means the kind of dismantling of the whole of the whole structure of power. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's very telling that sort of evangelical support for Trump uh, almost exclusively invokes the Old Testament as some mm. kind of you know if Trump is our anointed king or something like this, and, mm. and he, he's like you know these these, these kings who aren't good people, but God shows them or whatever. It's almost impossible to reconcile the gospels right, with, with this yeah. kind of uh, uh, politics. And they're not even trying anymore. Yeah. It's pretty tricky. The WWJD, like, uh, you know, who would Jesus vote for? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Sorry. I cut right. you off there though. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I would add is, you know, when I was talking about, you know, there, there is a kind of post-Christianity with values that are informed by Christianity. I mean, I, I think the idea of, it's pretty obvious where the Saint Temple got the idea of we should serve the poor, right? right? I mean, I think that's, that's a Christian idea, even if we don't see Christians doing that enough, right? right. The, the idea of kind of, that's what good people do, um, I, I think is rooted in the history of, of Christianity in, in the West. Yeah, at least that's where it's been the most promoted. I mean, they would probably want to say that it's, uh, they would probably say that it's a, it's a universal idea that has been passed to us through, through Christianity or, or that kind of thing. But uh, there's definitely something in the water, though, in, in the world, you know, when you've got churches like the Satanic Temple or religions like the Satanic Temple on the rise, and then you've got people like Sam Harris uh, teaching people how to meditate uh, and all of that. So I, I think it's a really interesting time to be alive. And it, it is a really, I mean, if you can develop, as I maybe have, a kind of anarchistic, uh, you know, maybe some kind of glee in watching Rome burn or something uh, <laughs> and hoping that something good can come out of it, or maybe a better analogy would be burning a field so that the, <laughs> so that the, uh, the soil is more fertile after it's burnt. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's something going on spiritually in, in the West that is, is really interesting, really hard to name. And in my view, kind of centered around our intuitions toward the spiritual. Does that kind of resonate with you at all? Absolutely. And again, this is another New Testament idea that I think has shaped um, pretty much all of Western history. But the idea that there will be an apocalypse, things are going to get really bad before they get better. And yeah. th there will be a great reversal right? The people who are in power now are not going to be in power in the, in, in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and whether or not you believe that prophecy is true, it has absolutely shaped uh, all kinds of political movements um, throughout Western history and even yeah. through uh, other parts of the world as well. Yeah. The apocalyptic narrative, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the apocalyptic narrative, I think it's associated with kind of violence and things like that, but it, it is also a message of hope, right? It is also a message of, 
things can seem really bad and it can seem like really bad people run the world, but it, it will get better. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I mean, uh, that's, that's probably, we've been going an hour and a half here and that's probably a, as good a note to end on uh, a positive, hopeful note. Um, but uh, thank you very much, uh, Joe, Joe or Joseph. Do you prefer Joe or Joseph? Joe's fine. Okay. For being on, uh, on the show. I mean, I feel like based on the things you've written books on and stuff, I mean, I think you're one of the people that I've talked to that uh, I could probably do 10 episodes and have different things to talk about each time, especially if we got away from the Christian Christian therapy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we all need a little Christian therapy. Just, yeah, just we do. <laughs> but yeah, are you, are you still a practicing Catholic, by the way? Like, do you attend uh, mass? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, I mean, this is, complicated i think there no one really understands what i mean when i say i'm catholic you know sure and i'm sure there are plenty of people who would say well you're not really a catholic you're a cafeteria catholic or or something like this yeah but uh i i I am catholic i'm catholic enough that i'm a little annoyed when people on the internet say i'm a satanist yeah (laughs) i i wasn't going to say that without asking you first i wasn't sure but i thought maybe you were yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with being a Satanist, but but I'm not, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm in an interesting position myself. Yeah, because if you uh, if people were to watch a bunch of episodes of or listen to a bunch of episodes of this podcast, I I'm, I keep waiting any day now to get contacted by someone telling me I'm not a Christian anymore. But uh, it hasn't happened yet, and I think people just <laughs> I think people just kind of can't make it through an hour and a half conversa- of conversations about the human condition, psychology, and philosophy, and religion uh i think they can't make it through it if they're not disillusioned enough to do it or if they're not academically interested or something like that so it's kind of prohibitive so i haven't gotten slapped (laughs) i haven't gotten slapped yet by uh anybody from the church but anyway i'm rambling now but uh thanks thanks for being on the show and and uh, maybe someday in the future uh if if you're around i'd love to talk to you again if if, you know about a a different uh, a different topic yeah that'd be great all right.